participating in that. For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be with, begin with Acts chapter 4. It says, And the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work among them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Psalms 133, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured upon the head, running down upon the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his robe. And it was as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Our New Testament reading is from 1 John. That which, we have, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life that appeared we have seen and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is a message we have heard from him declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. We claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk, and, and yet walk in darkness. We, if we walk in darkness, we lie and, and uh, do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us, give us our sins and purifies from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Then from the Gospels, in John chapter 20, we read, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors being locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood with them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, 
one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail mark in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his sides, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Thank you, Dad, for reading the word this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles out and turn your bulletins over to the back. Um, It is blank there, and I'd like you to uh, grab a pen in front of you. I'm going to give you three things to write down. There'll actually probably be more than that, but three uh, points today I'd like you to write down and just write down anything the Spirit speaks to you. I'm really enjoying reading through the Word of God these uh, next few years together, and it's good to get the Word of God inside of us to grow together, to learn together. And I pray that God's Word is transforming your life, changing you, uh, renewing your mind, and uh, we're going to let God's Word do that today. And what we saw in those passages is that after the resurrection, everything changes. Everything changes after the resurrection. If you read the book in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or maybe you saw the movie, uh, it's depicted that Aslan, the lion, the type of Christ in the books, that he is offered on an altar of sacrifice for the sins of the young child Edmund. And not only is he killed on that altar, he is humiliated on that altar by the white witch. And in the story, he is dead, and and the battle begins, and it looks like all is lost until Aslan comes back to life. But it's not just that Aslan came back to life, it's that when he came back to life, everything changed. It went from being this cold, frozen winter to this warm spring. And everything begins to blossom and grow, and the white witch loses all her power, And guess what? They win the battle, and Aslan is there. And all the ones that the white witch had frozen, they begin to thaw, because after the resurrection, everything changes. It's not just that Jesus is alive again, it's that there is a new reality. There is a new life, there is a new victory, and there is a new power in our lives. And I want to talk to you about that power today. And what kind of power is it? And where does it come from? Because we all need this power in our lives. And what do the verses that we just heard read to us teach us about that power? So today I'm going to give you three powers that come into our lives as a result of Jesus' 
death on the cross and the resurrection. I'm going to have you write these down. And the first one is the power in unity. There's power in unity. We see the early church begin to come together after the resurrection. And because it's a short passage, I'm going to read it again in Acts chapter 4. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And no one claimed to have any possessions, or any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And great grace was on them all. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what what was sold, and laid them at the feet of the apostles. Then it was distributed to each person as any had need. When you look at this early church and the power and the unity of the early church, look at some of the, the phrases, if you have your Bible open to this passage. They were of one heart and one mind. They were in unity. They shared everything. No one was in need. They were giving testimony boldly that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were preaching boldly. It says there was great grace on them, great power on them, and there's great power in unity. Our Old Testament passage from Psalm 133, one of the shortest Psalms in the Bible, it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony or in unity. It's like a fine oil on the head running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling onto the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord appointed the blessing, life forevermore. There's something beautiful about unity. In this passage of Scripture, it talks about the oil. I'll give two pictures of this unity. It's the oil that ran down the head of Aaron, down his beard, down his robe, that healing, anointing oil. The dew from Mount Hermon, everything from Mount Hermon flows down into the valley, into the Jordan River that brings life to all of Israel. When we see this unity, there's an abundance, there's a healing power And ultimately, there is power when we are together as one. There is something beautiful about unity. There's something beautiful when a husband and a wife live together in unity. There's something beautiful when a family, even an extended family, even in-laws, can live together in unity. There's something beautiful if if you can go and work at a place where everybody's kind of on the same team and everybody wants to help each other. When things are in unity, it's beautiful. But the problem is that's not the reality, is it? Too often we live in discord. And maybe that's why unity is so beautiful because it's so rare, but the truth is, is that when things are in discord, our hearts break. And that's the reality. Far too often in our marriages, in our families, at work, at school, there's this discord. But God placed in our hearts this desire for unity. And I believe it's because God is a God of unity. And after the cross and resurrection, He invites you and me to be in unity with Him. That we would come together in unity with Him first. That we would love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we would be in unity 
with God. And then that love would flow through us into our relationships and our surroundings. And I want to tell you, if you are here today and you're married and and, and a husband and wife, you are both in the Lord, there should be unity in your home. You should be fighting for that unity in your family. You should be looking to show that love at work wherever you're there. It hurts when it's, there's discord, but God says, I want unity, and it begins with Him. He's removed any separation. He says, okay, you may not find unity in this life, but you will find unity with me, and we will be one, and I will love you with an everlasting love, and, and I want you to take that love and let that love flow through you into all of your relationships, because there's something beautiful and powerful about unity. The second power is the power in experience. When we read the New Testament, we see the power in the lives of those who saw the resurrected Jesus. They were never the same. I think of what John said. We won't read the whole chapter like Pastor Merrill did, but just the first verse. Look at this first verse from the letter of John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Such a vivid verse from John. He's saying, look, I'm not telling you some theological theory and about what I'm about to write. I knew Jesus. I saw Jesus. I heard Jesus. I touched Jesus. I experienced Jesus. And I want to share him with you. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Just... How would you describe the sound of that water when it's rushing down? Or you've been to the Grand Canyon and you've seen the vast beauty. How do you adequately describe that? And you don't even have to travel that far. How many of you have seen a beautiful sunset and then you take out your phone to take a picture of it and you take a picture of it and you look at the sunset and you look at your phone and you're like, that's, that's, yeah, what did you take a picture of? Because that's beautiful. You, know, you can't even describe those colors. It's so beautiful. You have to experience it. It's not meant for a picture. It's something to be experienced. How do you describe the feeling of silk? Or how do you adequately describe that bite into a crunchy apple? I mean, some things in life just need to be experienced. And everyone who experienced Jesus after the resurrection, they were never the same. See, fellowship with Jesus uh, is something you have to experience. You can't just come to church and hear a sermon and say, okay, now I know about Jesus. You have to know him, experience him. You have to see his power experienced in your life. In John chapter 20, there was a disciple that missed out on experiencing Jesus. His name is Thomas. It says in verse 24, but Thomas called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails on his hands, put my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So we call him Doubting Thomas. But the reality is, is Thomas needed to experience Jesus for himself. So Jesus shows up a week later. In verse 26, it says, A week later, the disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. 
Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood uh, among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas was a realist. He just couldn't believe without experiencing Jesus. He said, I just have to see it for myself. I have to know it for myself. I have to touch it for myself. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he met Thomas right where he was at. And he will meet you right where you are at. See, Jesus is available to anyone that wants to experience him. He'll he'll break down the walls. He'll go through locked doors. It doesn't matter. He will meet with you. Even in the midst of your doubts, even in the midst of your questions, Jesus will show up. And when Thomas got to experience Jesus, his response is, my Lord and my God. There's something that changes when we experience Jesus. Not when we hear a sermon, but when we experience him, that our knees bow and our tongues confess, he is Lord. My Lord and my God. Everything changes when you experience Jesus. We call Thomas Doubting Thomas, but the reality is after this story, he becomes quite bold. Apostles like Peter and Paul take the Gospel west all the way to Rome, but instead Thomas travels to the east and he ends up in the country of modern-day India and he evangelizes that entire area of Asia. To this day, uh, Thomas is the patron saint of India. In fact, most Christians in India will have the name Thomas because he brought the gospel and it cost him his life. And you can talk to Pastor Merrill more about that or Matthew Thomas will be with us in a few weeks uh, from India. But that idea that he was so emboldened that he went out and he wins all of India. What will your response be when you experience Jesus? And have you experienced him to the point where it's like, I, I, just, I just know him. He's changed my life, my Lord and my God. I think it's so important to worship together as a church, and we want to do this Saturdays and Sundays. But what about a Bible study? What about a small group? What about reading your devotional every day? What about coming tonight to the worship night and just spending some extra time with the Lord to know Him, to experience Him, to be close to Him? Because there's power in experience. Thirdly, there's power in peace. Power in peace. We need peace today, don't we? The world in which we live and and all the things happening in our life. Even after the resurrection, the the disciples were still scared. They were hiding. They were worried sick. Have you ever been worried sick? Has life ever not turned out the way you thought it might? Of course. Of course. And that's where they found themselves. They shut the doors. They they bolted in some translations or locked the doors. They were frightened. They couldn't get their bearings. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. And now, was there even any hope? Was there even any future? There were so many questions. And what I love about Jesus is that he appears to them in the midst of their fear, in the midst of the walls and the locked doors, Jesus shows up right in the midst of their worry. 
And Jesus came to them, and let me tell you, Jesus will come to you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what he has to knock down or open up, he will be there for you. And what happens to this little scared group of people, they end up becoming the church that changes the world. Because Jesus showed up and God's presence changed their life. When we read today, Pastor Merrill read, there were three times Jesus said, peace be with you. In fact, every time after the resurrection, when Jesus shows up, he says, peace be with you. Now, he probably has to say this because he is walking through walls to be with them. And, and so, peace be with you. How about you stop walking through walls, Jesus? That, that's kind of freaking us out a little bit. But, but every time he's saying, peace be with you. Jesus speaks peace into our lives. And after the cross and after the resurrection, he gives us peace in the midst of the storm. No matter what's going on in our world, there is peace. There is peace in, 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 in the power that God gives us, but also in the unity that we talked about. When we're in unity with God, when we're in unity with other people, it's probably there because of peace. When we experience God, it's probably because we're experiencing the peace of God. So how do we get this powerful peace in our life? Let me tell you today. I love what Jesus said on the last night of his life in John 16, verse 33. He says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And I want to tell you, he has. He's overcome everything. Everything that you need is found in Jesus. I know we mentioned it in prayer time, but I want to reiterate it today. And I'm going to give you an equation on the screen real quickly here. I'd like you to write down. But that's this. The cross plus the resurrection equals everything you need. The cross plus the resurrection is everything you need. We talked about the cross already, right? Forgiveness, healing or wholeness, peace. The resurrection, victory, new life, power. Anything that you need, it's found in the cross and the resurrection. I mean, what else can you add to that list? What else can you do to provide something for that list? And so how do we respond if, if we really know this and we really believe this and we've experienced this, how do we respond? Let me tell you, do not respond like the world responds. Because I've never seen any time like the present where it seems like in our world anything that happens is a crisis. It's, I mean, you can go to work and they run out of copy paper and it's a crisis. We ran out of copy. Who's supposed to order it? What? Yeah, and it's like, seriously? Settle down. You know, and, and I, I'm making light because that's a small, there are big crises in our life, but it seems like everything's a crisis anymore. That's not how we respond in this life. We have everything that we need. And when we don't have something, God will provide it. He'll take care of it. How do you respond to this life? You respond with faith. It's not a crisis. It's a time for faith. It's a time to believe. To believe in the power that God has for your life. And there is power. There's power in unity. And it may be hard as you sit here today. It's like, I don't know if I'll ever have that unity in my family or my workplace. I'll tell you today, you will have unity with God. And that's the most important thing. Start there. Say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be unified with God. I'm, I'm going to have that love relationship where I love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he's going to love me with an everlasting love. Nothing will separate me from his love. And he gives you that love and let that love just flow down through you and start flowing out into your relationships. And watch what God will do. 
Husbands and wives, fight for the unity of your marriage. Fight for the unity of your family. Try. The Bible says, "As, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with everyone. As far as it's up to you, be at peace with everyone. Because there's power in unity. There's power in unity. There's power in experience. And we want to experience God not once a week or not once every once in a while. We want to experience God every single day. Somehow, some way, through prayer, through reading, through experiencing Him. And there's power in peace, the peace that passes understanding. And then Paul tells us, let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart. Don't let crisis rule and reign in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart. And let me tell you today, what I'm talking about, this is not just theory. This is the reality. Everything changes after the resurrection. Everything changes. This isn't just an idea. This is the truth. And I want to pray it over your life right now. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and your hearts with me. And I'm going to pray for you today. I'm going to pray for unity. I'm going to pray that we experience God. And I'm going to pray for peace. And we're just going to believe in faith that God's going to bring that to your life, to your relationships, and to all your hands touch and everywhere your feet goes. Lord, today, as we have gathered together in your name, we have read your word, and Lord, now we are going to pray your word. And Lord, just as you said, it is good for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. Just as we saw the unity of the early church, just as you purchased the price so that we can be forgiven and one with you, Lord, first of all, I pray for every single person here, everyone listening to this message. Lord, I pray for unity in their relationship with you. God, that we would be one with you. Just as if the Father and Son were one, may we be one with you, Jesus. Lord, we want, it. We want that love relationship. God, we want to be close to you. And God, I pray for that love to flow through us and into our relationships. Lord, I pray a blessing and I pray unity on every single marriage in this house, God. Lord, we believe that you have brought two people together and nothing can tear them apart. The enemy is hard at work in our world, but God, you are stronger. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so we're going to believe today for unity in our marriages. We're going to fight for that unity in our marriages. We're going to pursue that love relationship, God. Lord, we pray that for our family. Lord, we pray that in our workplaces. We pray that in our schools, God. And as far as it is up to us, Lord, may we live at peace with all mankind. God, we need your power, your unifying power in our lives. So we pray that down today to every one of us, and may that be a reality in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would experience you and know you, not just hear about you, not just read about you, but God, that we would know you. Just as John said, I, I've seen Jesus, and I've heard Jesus, and I've touched Jesus. May we know you. May we experience you. Every time we gather together, may we experience you. Every, every worship night we go to, every small group, every Bible study, every time we open our devotional, every time we turn on a worship song, may we know you, Jesus. May we experience you, and may it happen every single day. And may that power of that experience change our lives and give us boldness, God. May it just burn a white, hot, passionate flame in our life, God. Lord, I pray for peace. 
in a world that lives in crisis, in a world that lives in discord. Lord, I pray that the peace of Christ would rule and reign in our hearts. Jesus, every time you showed up, you said, peace be with you. And so, Lord, we receive that peace. You paid the price for that peace on the cross. And God, we believe today that we are to be men and women of peace in our world, in our families, everywhere we go. And God, I pray that we would have that peace. We would know that peace. Lord, that we wouldn't be people of crisis, but we would be people of faith. I pray that manifestation of peace the reality of peace into each one of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, may your word come alive to us. May it be real to us. And may we live this today, tomorrow, this week, and throughout our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's not just a theory, it's reality. And we need to live that reality in our life. Just before we go, we're going to receive um, the blessing of the Lord and have some cake to celebrate with Lars and Harriet. Um, I love Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 12. It'll be on the screen. I just thought of it this week as we were thinking about leaving after this message. It says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That's what's going to happen today. You're going to go out with joy and be led forth in peace. I want to tell you about something real quickly. That's why we've ended just a couple minutes early um, today. Uh, it's something that we've been planning for a long time. I've hinted at it at different moments, but um, just with so much happening this year and the Ascension Convention, uh, we just haven't mentioned it, but in, in a couple weeks we're going to leave for Bulgaria. I'm going to take a team of seven from our church, 10 total people. We're going to Bulgaria. And I want to tell you a little bit about this trip. There'll be some slides going across the screen. Uh, Mission Possible is part of our missions giving every month. I actually serve on the board of Mission Possible. And it's a, a place really near and dear to my heart. That's where they minister all over the world. I've uh, been to all those different places, except for Albania for me, but I've been to all those places. And I've seen the work. I want to tell you what we're going to do on this trip. Because you may say, well, why are you going to Bulgaria? Bulgaria has a lot of villages in poverty, extreme poverty, no electricity, no running water, uh, mostly uh, Muslim people, and, and none of the kids go to school. It's just, it's, it's really a, a horrible existence. And so what we started is we started what we call the Baby Box Project, where we, we take a box and we fill it with all things that kids might need or babies would need, and we bring it to the families. We also have feeding stations where we feed the children. And, and we bring these boxes to the house and we help them uh, with their children. And then we'll buy a building in town. And buying a building there is like $500 or $1,000. We buy a building like that. We'll fix it up. And that becomes the church. And, and then we train a pastor to pastor that church. And they don't, they don't meet on Sundays. They just, there's a baby box going to a house right there. And, you know, they actually use that box as a crib for the babies sometimes. And, and um, so we train the pastors and and they just ring the bell, and everybody comes to church, and the kids come out. That's what we'll do when we show up in a village. You'll we'll just ring a bell, they'll come out. And um, it's amazing because you, you start this project, and then you come back a year or two later, and the town has completely changed. Everybody's going to church. All the kids are in school. Everything's cleaned up. 
and, and, and it's just, and, they, and sometimes they've, they've already built a well, they've done other things, and I want to tell you, sometimes we don't see it where we live, but there is power in the gospel. It changes everything. It changes everything. And so we do this through the Baby Box Project. I'll actually be training along with Jim D'Angelo, Jessica Cullinane. We'll be training some pastors there. Uh, but we're going to be working with the kids delivering baby boxes. And, and so the college in a chapel meeting, Addie was here a few weeks ago. Remember Addie singing a few weeks ago? It was phenomenal, beautiful. Uh, she's going to be leading our team. And um, so we, she was in chapel. And so we thought, poor college students, $60 a box. So if we could raise one box out of the college students, it would be great to, to give that money to Addie and go. God's so cool because we had faith for one box. Then all of a sudden, some of the instructors started saying, well, hey, if the students raise $60, I'll give a box, and I'll give a box, and I'll give a box. So we had four or five boxes by the end of that chapel. And then we thought, wouldn't it be cool to ask the kids at Ascension to give something? The kids gave over $1,000. We are going to go with 20 boxes. Uh, this, so we, we had faith for one. That's what's beautiful about God. You have faith for something, he'll say, that's great. Let's do even more. And he just provided 20 to go. So we don't need any more boxes to go. But we have to train the pastors. We have to get them to the place. We have to train them. It's going to be about $5,000 plus dollars to do that. And we feed them while they're there. We take care of them and everything. And so uh, this week and next week, if you'd like to give anything toward this project, I'm just going to encourage you to do that. Now, this is an above and beyond offering, so don't feel any obligation. But if God tells you to do it, then do it and, and give something toward it either this week or next week. And what's really cool is I believe that someday when we get to heaven, there's going to be maybe a Bulgarian family, maybe an entire village coming up to you and saying, thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for sending your pastor. Thank you for sending a team. Um, because they will have hope and new life. And God's doing amazing things there. So uh, you see the pictures. Uh, we're just going to take an offering this week. We won't take one next week. But if you want to give something next week, you can do that. Or you can give online as well. But I'm going to invite um, 